Ladies and gentlemen, stand cheer for the Bulldog Fans Podcast. Here's your hosts, Matt and Scott, on their way down the tunnel at ANZ Stadium, on their way to the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Go up as one for Matt and Scott, the NRL Bulldogs Podcast. Alrighty, Scotty, this week on the podcast, we had the honour of sitting down uh, for over an hour with Dennis Scott, a man that played 128 NRL games and 103 of those for the Kidroo Bank Sound Bulldogs and current host of Selling Houses Australia due to premiere next year. It was a fun hour. Well, it was a crazy hour. It was absolutely outstanding. The stories, the um, everything about it, the detail as well. Didn't right. hold back. For some of our younger listeners that might not remember Dennis Scott playing, uh, he debuted at the Broncos. It was with the Bulldogs from 99 to 2004. So he's got some stories about that premiership winning year. He doesn't hold back. He gives us a few stories that, well, I haven't heard anywhere else. So mm. <laughs> that was great of him. Um, really generous guy. Um, really great storyteller. And uh, he goes into detail of his career and his post-career. Mm. And he also gives his opinions on the current state of the club, doesn't hold back with certain opinions. And one thing's for sure, uh, Dennis Scott is proud to be a Bulldog. Well, now let's get straight into the interview. Growing up in Queensland, Dennis, was it always your dream to play rugby league? It actually wasn't. My dream was to become a vet. Um, But I didn't actually play rugby league until I was about 13, I think. Um, And that was probably just due to where we were living. I lived on a cattle stand in central Queensland. So the nearest town for me to play footy was sort of an hour away. And, And to get to training and back was really difficult. But... I played a little bit with the school uh, while it was available. And then the local club asked me to play. Uh, I think it was 12 or 13 and they were giving me 10 bucks a game, which was like mate gold when I was back then. Um, And then it just sort of ticked along from there. got a scholarship to go to another school in Mackay, which was further away from home. So I lived away from home and um, got spotted by Cyril Connell and and then moved to Brisbane uh, with the hope of possibly mate, pursuing football. But it had never occurred to me before that, that, it, you know, you could make it a career, et cetera. I, um, well, thank, I should say, Dennis, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> no, <laughs> Scott, no problem. Scott, uh, forgot that at the start. But, um, yeah, we really appreciate your time here on the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. You're saying you left home pretty young there. Was that a difficult thing to do? Yeah, it was. Um, I think I was 15 when I, when I left home and living away from home. But I guess growing up in the country, that was just sort of what you did. And uh, I, I left um everyone and, and moved to brisbane packed up all my worldly possessions in in my little beat up car and and drove to brisbane i think that was uh i was 17 i think um and yeah I, brisbane was was definitely an eye-opener uh when i got there and then sydney obviously after mate my stint at brisbane it was a another eye-opener considering i was from the country yeah <laughs> i couldn't imagine like growing up in the city i couldn't imagine going from country, growing up in a country town into a into a city living. So that would be pretty difficult there. Now, one of the big questions we ask of our guest, Dennis, is when you were growing up, who did you support as a child? Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't really follow rugby league because I didn't play it until I was 13. So we used to get the BRL and we used to watch uh, Winter Manly Seagulls when Wally Lewis and stuff was going. 
but I was a big Bob Linder fan. So whoever Bob Linder was playing for, I think he was playing for maybe the Illawarra Steelers at that time, maybe. Um, so I sort of just backed him basically and where and where he was. And obviously I'm a Queenslander, mate, so I was always um, back in the Maroons. Fair enough. I've gone back and watched all the origins from the 80s and Bob Linder, um, incredibly underrated um, going off Very. his performances. He should have a bigger, bigger rap on him. Yeah, look, I fully agree. And I think he actually played, whether it was a state of origin or something, I think he played with a broken leg at one stage. Yep. Yeah, um, I'm not 100% across that. But, um, yeah, going back and watching it, he was a standout. So I reckon he should um, be remembered up there with the likes of some of the better players of that Queensland team in the 80s. Definitely. I was going to say I'm actually excited that someone, every time we get an ex-player on the podcast, they always seem to say Parramatta Eels with a the team they followed. So it's nice to get no. a different answer than Parramatta no, it definitely, definitely wasn't a Parramatta Eels supporter, mate. Um, and I, I never really was even a Broncos supporter, even though I was a Queenslander. Um, yeah, I just, I followed, as I said, I followed Bob Linder. And so I was a, um, uh, I was a Bob Linder fan. So I followed him, but didn't really, but I didn't really follow any one particular team. We were probably sort of, as I said, we probably watched the, the BRL more than what we did the NRL where I was from. So I was probably a, a Winner Manly Seagulls or something like that fan as far as um, footy goes. As a kid, when you first played, you said you were about 13 years old when you first played footy. Were you always in the, a player who played in the forwards or what was you? Uh, I, I was a player that, um, well, well, I predominantly played uh, in the forwards, but I did start my career as a 5'8". Uh, um, and then... Uh, moved into sort of a bit of an outside centre role because I was reasonably mobile, but mate, really, I found myself, you know, in the forwards, whether it be the back row, and and because I was reasonably tall, I'd sort of shuffled up to the front row. I guess I was, I guess I was stupid enough to play front row, but I was quick enough to be able to play back row, so it was okay. <laughs> I love it. And when you were playing footy, was landscaping the plan after footy, or was it still becoming? Uh, it, no, it wasn't. I um, I actually did. Um, well, as a kid, as I said, I wanted to be a vet, but then, um, and then, mate, when I started to go to school, boobs and beer became a little bit more of a um, preference for me at some point in time, and then study went out the window a little bit. Um, then I, I did a, um, a mechanics apprenticeship, um, and, and so I'm a qualified mechanic, but I, I'd always been outdoors and uh, gardening stuff with uh, my grandparents and, and that sort of thing, but so when I finished football, um, I was actually helping um, mate landscape and he offered me a job. So I, I sort of took that and then I progressed into a mature age apprenticeship. So I'm a carpenter as well, carpentry. Um, and then made a great mate of mine who I did my trade with. Um, he sort of offered me a chance like with a business and mate, I sort of took it. And then we've been operating now for seven or eight years and mate, it's just um, uh mysteriously transpired into the fact that I'm now uh, been selected as the Selling Houses Australia host and designer of, um, of landscapes. <laughs> so I think there's something in there that, uh, that you said there, Dennis, that every uh, boy that's gone through the teenagers could relate to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, I think, I think we're all guilty of it at some point in time. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We'll get on to more Selling Houses Australia a little bit later, but let's jump into the, the NRL debut debuting with the Broncos in 1996. Um, can you remember what the debut game was like? Uh, yep, I absolutely crapped my ducks, to tell you the truth. I didn't know what was going on. That was against uh, big guys like Hetero Cassini, 
um, Dennis Betts, etc. Um, in the New Zealand Warriors. I'd actually played a full reserve grade game, um, and I came off the field, and uh, and Shane Webke said, "Oh, uh, you know, you kitten up like you're going to run on, are you going to, you know, sit on the bench for us?" And I was like, "Yeah, good G up, like well done." And then Peter Ryan asked me the same question. And I sort of went, you guys are bloody, you know, off your scone. I've just played a full game of reserve grade. And then I walked in uh, as they were walking out and Wayne Bennett said, uh, have a shower. Um, you've had a pretty good year. I want to give you a reward. And, mate, I had a shower and, mate, kitted up and sat on the bench for, for first grade. And then um, I, was, I was meant to get the last, I think about the last 10 or 15 minutes, but someone got injured and, and I think I got about 25 minutes and I, I had to pack into a scrum straight up and I, mate, my eyes were like dinner plates. I remember just looking up at the big screen and seeing my head on the on the big screen and packing into a scrum with Dennis Betts, et cetera, mate, it was quite surreal. Well, you answered my next question about how you found out you're making a debut. Very different to today's game where there's jersey presentations and uh, et cetera, all shared over social media. Um what was it like, you know, walking in the dressing room after playing reserve grade and having people like Kevin Walters, Alfie Langer in there, uh, Webke and et cetera? It was, it was even before I'd played first grade or even, you know, before even getting told I'd played first grade, every game uh, when you were playing at the Bronx and you came in the dressing sheds and everyone was quite jovial with, you know, Alf and Kevy and all that, they were always having a bit of a joke. But, um, mate, it was definitely... It was definitely a weird scenario. You know, you grow up and you sort of play football and you never really think that you're going to play first grade or whatever. But, and you're walking in the sheds with like sort of Glenn Lazarus and Alan Langer and Kevin Walters and Steve Renouf and all those sort of guys. Um, man, it was, it, was, it was a buzz every time you came off the game. And, and you know, especially if you won, um, they'd all come through and they'd be happy for you. And they'd, you know, shake your hand or give you a high five. And, mate, you, you sort of just went, Jesus, I'm, um, I'm 18 or 19 here and I'm, I'm actually rubbing shoulders with the big guys. It was, um, mate, it was, it was good. It was enjoyable. It was fun. And, but, you know, that just sort of made you want, I guess, want to go to the next step. So when you actually got the chance, it was more so the case that you just didn't want to stuff up. Back then too, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Broncos had a bit of swagger to them. A lot of success uh, just before that as well. Um, this looks like a Scotty question, but um, you played six games for the Broncos for five wins. Were you aware that your record was that good? No, I, no, I wasn't. Mind you, I don't think it was possibly due to me, mate. I think uh, I think the fact that there was uh, Steve Renouf, uh, Michael Hancock, uh, the likes of Darren Lockie as Glenn Lazarus's Alan Kent, or mate, it was a it was a stack side. Hey, um, Brad Thorne. It it was like if you couldn't if you couldn't sort of learn something off those guys, it was uh, it was pointless you being there. Um, and it just sort of sadly got to the point after five years that um, it, it, I just had so many people in front of me, um, and then I had to make the decision to to go somewhere, and that was sort of pushed from Wayne. He sort of said to me. Um, I want you to, I want to keep you, but I want you to go and learn your craft and I want you to go to the Bulldogs. And I sort of said, well, that's great, mate, but the Bulldogs won't necessarily want me. But I think him and Bob Hagen had a pretty good relationship at that stage. Um, so Wayne and, and Bob had, had spoken and, and, mate, within 24 hours of him saying that he wanted me to, he was going to let me go, um, I'd sort of pretty much discussed with Canterbury and everything was sorted and, mate, um, that was that was it. I was, I was heading to Canterbury and trying to learn off the likes of Steve Folks as a coach and, and the other boys down there, Brady and all those guys. 
Actually, I want to add a question in there because what you said was about uh, Wayne Bennett just basically going up to you and saying, I want you to move to the Bulldogs. Does that make you respect him more as a coach saying that, hey, um, it'd be a better opportunity for you, even though if I'm selfish, I'll keep you? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. Look, Wayne, Wayne is a... Um, mate, Wayne's, Wayne's a pretty pretty honest guy. Like, he gives you a pretty honest assessment about what's going on. Um, and I, I was sort of partway through a pre-season and then he came to me and he just said, look, I want to keep you, but you, you, it's going to be hard for you to be punching into first grade with the likes of Brad Thorns and Peter Irons and all those guys in front of me. Um, I think the, uh, the Bronx had just won the grand final too over the Bulldogs in, in 98. So I, I left a grand final winning side and then I went to a grand final losing side. So I probably wasn't expected to play first grade too much either in uh, at Canterbury, but um, I think my first year I played about thirteen or fourteen games, which I think was a surprise to them, um, and 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 it was obviously a surprise to me. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was it was great because I had match payments in there, so it was mate, it was like a bloody bonus for me as a twenty-one year old. It was like you're beating. You touched on it there. Broncos defeated the Bulldogs in the ninety-eight grand final. Where were your allegiances watching that? No, well, I'd sort of, um, I hadn't, I hadn't signed with Canterbury at that stage, so oh. I, it was part way through preseason. It was, um, it was about two or three months after that, about January, that it all started. So, um, I, I was obviously back in the Bronx, but, um, but yeah, then I sort of worked out that I'm going to the Dogs, and I was like, shit, this is going to be just as hard to, to get into a into a grand final losing side as what it is leaving a grand final winning side. Um, so yeah, I was I was quite nervous, and especially like if you get to a grand final, you've obviously got some camaraderie and and mateship and stuff going on. So you're pretty tight knit group, which they were. So but they were they were very welcoming when I came. Um, everyone was was only too happy to have me there, and um, yeah, it was look, it was it was great hey the dogs was the dogs is a huge part of my life um and i i still support the dogs now even though you know we're going shit i'm still blue and white and i'm still trying to mate look at some positives and bits and pieces everyone asks me who i go for and uh, i sadly sometimes say you know the dogs but mate i'm i'm holding my head up high when i say it Uh, all fans can relate to that, hey, Scotty? Yeah. That's, that's proud to be a bulldog right there. Oh, no, it's tough, mate. It's tough. It's really, it's tough. Um, and you look at it, and I was filled with such hope this year. I thought we'd recruited really quite well. Um, I, I, yeah, I really was. Hey, I was ex- a little bit excited. Um, but, mate, it's 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 it hasn't gone well so far. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not leading to something, but... Oh mate, who knows? I wouldn't want to be a coach. Hey, I'd rather I'd rather be a busted ex footballer than than be a coach for an NRL side. I'm holding my fingers crossed. We've got a few more recruits coming in next year, so we might see hopefully a uh, sharp incline up that ladder uh, from next year. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think if you're a true dogs fan, mate, I think you've just got to look. You know, no matter what happens, um, you've just got to show some faith that you know that there's there's hope there somewhere. Um, but it's going to, it's going to be a slow, slow process, but, um, I think giving us some time, uh, look, I don't know the full workings of it, but I don't think Rayland Castle's probably left us in a great, um, situation with salary cap and all that sort of thing. Um, as I say, I don't know the intimate details and whatever, but that was sort of the feeling that I get. Um, so I mean, they're working, they're working hard. Hey, they're working hard with what they've got. 
um, you know, I, I don't think they've given up, that's for sure. I agree with that. Um, back to yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you mentioned it was um, moving away from the bush to Brisbane uh, was one thing, but then you moved from Queensland to Sydney. Um, how, how tough was that? Yeah, mate, it was real tough. It was, uh, I always said to myself that I never wanted to go to Sydney unless of what was happening. I thought, um, you know, what if I, if I made it into Brisbane and that's fine, but I, I just would go, yeah, well, you know, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to Sydney. I'm not going to tick that sort of box. But, uh, as I got a little bit older, I just thought well, I never wanted to be sitting in a pub and, and just thinking, watching the footy with my mates or, or some bloke that, you know, was bagging someone or whatever and, and saying, Oh, I could have done that, but you know, well, why didn't you? I'd, so I'd rather have had a crack at it um, and failed. And, and at least I'd said, well, you know, at least I had a crack at it, but um, yeah, it was, it was tough, mate. And, and, and it make it even tougher. And I mean, I mean, no disrespect, but as a country boy coming down and, and I lived at Belmore for oh, three months, I think, or four months. And then before I sort of bought an apartment at Miranda uh, in the Sutherland Shire, when um, my partner moved down, um, mate, it was it was a culture sh it was a culture shock it really was it, it was it was um, it was surreal to walk down the street and yeah it's it was it was interesting. In the Sutherland Shire does that to a lot of people though, yeah. <laughs> even people in other parts of Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, mate, it was it was like it was just it was huge. Hey, Sydney was massive compared to what I was sort of used to, and even Brisbane. Um, yeah, it was intimidating, just the sheer size of it. But, uh, you know, after six years, it, it felt like home, like we were home. Um, we sort of didn't really want to go, but uh, just the opportunity came for us to go and, and that we just sort of had to take it. And, um, and, and then that's what we did in, at the end of 2004. Can I ask when you were at the Brisbane in 98 and you're doing the pre-season for 99 and then yep. you shifted to Canterbury, like, was there a different feel in training? Like, you got one team who just won, they're on a high, everyone's happy, they're the current champs. Then you go to the team who's come, who came second who lost. Was there a different, was there a shift of feeling? Did you pick that up or was, as in you went from first to second? Um, no, there, I mean, obviously there was. There was, um, there was a shift of feeling in relation to, you know, they'd lost. They're obviously, no one's happy to lose. But... Um, they were a really tight bunch when, when we got there, um, they were a really tight bunch. And I think Canary didn't recruit, uh, even that many in, in 99, I think, um, well, actually they, they did recruit, but they got the likes of Darren Smith, um, Brad Clyde, Ricky Stewart. And then there was myself and Justin Murphy from Brisbane, mate, these little reserve graders. So we were getting announced up on the stage at Legs. Uh, we're in Belmore with uh, with the new recruits, with um, these three internationals: Brad Clyde, Ricky Stewart, Darren Smith, and then it was like, oh, and Dennis Scott and Justin Murphy, and we're just sitting there like these little kids, just going, "Oh my God, what's going on here?" So, but as far as the mood at training wise, mate, it was it was actually pretty good. They were very positive, mate, and and anyone that was walking around or moping around, Bill Johnson would kick your ass and, and make you do extra laps and bits and pieces anyway. So mate, you, you didn't, you didn't <laughs> want to be, you didn't want to be dragging your bottom lip because it was hard enough, uh, you know, keeping everything in check at the same time. Uh, do you remember your debut for the Bulldogs? I do, uh, mate, which, which one? I mate, See, I consider my debut for the Bulldogs as a reserve grade game, which, uh, which was Terry Lamb was the coach, was Stadium Australia. And I actually scored, I was the, I was the first uh, first 
guy to score for the Bulldogs in the year of uh, 99 at Stadium Australia. So that's cool. Um, in reserve grade, I think I was playing back row. But then uh, my first grade debut, I'm pretty sure was against the Roosters uh, at the SFS and we got absolutely pumped. I think it was like 40 to six or something like that. And I remember, um, I don't even know what came through my head. I, I think I kicked, I didn't even know, I don't even know what tackle it was. And I think I'd kicked the ball and I came off at full time and, and folks, he said, mate, uh, you won't be kicking the ball again, will you? And I was like, oh, nope, nope, I won't be kicking the ball again. So that was, um, Adrian Lamb carved us up that day, I think it was. Um, we just, we, we couldn't do our thing right. And they just, everything they touched turned to gold that day. There you go. There's a bit of a trivia question in that as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Mate, well, that, it's, um, I think, because uh, that was our first year at... Um, First year at Stadium Australia. So if anyone asks you who the first Bulldog was to ever score at Stadium Australia, mate, it was actually me because it was reserve grade. No, that's Did you beat a runaway? Uh, no, I don't think it was a runaway, mate. I didn't get too many of those. I did I did manage to squeeze one of those out against the Cowboys in Townsville, but, mate, I didn't get too many others. <laughs> fair enough. There was, fair a lot enough. Of, there was a lot of nerdy runs made in my, um, in my career, let me tell you. I didn't, get, uh, I didn't get a try every year, that's for sure. You missed your chance to talk it up. No one would be able to prove you wrong. Oh, mate. <laughs> I, I figure it's easier to talk yourself down. The only way you can go is up. If you talk yourself up, the only way you can go is down. So I was like, mate, I'll, I'll just keep it real. Well, we got the humble. We had Darrell Halligan a couple of weeks ago who said he ran 110 metres. Oh, really? He went from uh, dead ball line getting. A couple of people trying to push him out. And he ran around everyone twice. Oh, he said some yeah. of them twice on the way yeah. through. And I was like, oh. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Chucky Halligan, we used to call it, his nickname used to be Milo because he wasn't quick. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, mate, but he was, he was an integral part, obviously, of the Bulldogs, mate. He was amazing. Like, it, it, you know, we wouldn't have won games uh, if we didn't have the likes of a of a Daryl Halligan and then follow that with with a Hazamel Masri. I remember one year we just sort of decided whenever we were in scoring range, even if it's two points, let's just take the two points. We were just um, we were just boring sides, mate. They were, they were just going every time they get in the you know in our zone, they they're scoring. So that was just a tactic and and it worked. Absolutely, I um I remember that actually. Um... Just trying to think. Um, I think back then we were celebrating goals as we were celebrating tries. Yeah, mate. It was. We were always just trying to kick you guys. As soon as literally, folks, it was like, right, if we're in scoring zone and we get a penalty, let's just take two points because it was almost a given. Like it really was. Mm. Um, and then you'd get the ball back, mate, and they'd obviously tackling again. So it was. Um, it was hard work for the opposition, um, and, and it seemed. Uh, uh, easy work for us at the time. Uh, how did you find out that you were making your debut in round eight against the Roosters for the Dogs? Um, I think it was, I think Steve Reardon maybe have uh, got injured or something, done his hamstring. Um, and, and folks, he sort of pulled me aside and, and said that I was going to be selected in first grade. And I was, mate, I, I was thinking, geez, this is, this is incredible. Um, and I think it was lucky for me that Rito was out for a few weeks. Um, so so I sort of filled in then for a few weeks and then I managed to, I think then Rito came back and then played reserve grade and I managed to hold my spot for for quite some time. Um, so <laughs> it, was, it was actually great. 
Um, but yeah, folk, I mean, folks, he was always, he was always up front. Like he's a lot like Wayne, mate. He's got that real fatherly figure to him. Uh, if you've got any questions, you go there, ask a question and uh, maybe he'll give you an honest answer. And um, you, you sort of know where you stand. Um, you know, a lot of people, folks, he's one of these blokes that you either liked or you di disliked. And I, oh, mate, I seem to get along really well with him. And I, mate, I, I sort of, um, you know, honestly, I, I miss his company, basically. So your first NRL try was against the Cowboys. Was that the runaway? Um, I don't think that was my first try. That was probably my first try for that year. I'm not sure. But, um, mate, I, I've got that on, on highlights. Phil Palazzeri's uh, made me a highlights disc. And, mate, I've made my daughters watch that, I reckon, about a thousand times and told them how good I was um, probably 2,000 times. So... <laughs> Um, it's well and truly used. I might even have to get him to give me another copy because it probably it's almost worn out. <laughs> I have a digital copy and I'll pass it on to Scotty and we'll whack it on the uh, Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Yeah, we should do that. We should do that. I yeah. might have to. I might have to. I don't know how. I don't know how I'll do it. Just you'll have to put it on loop, Scotty, in behind someone or something like that, so it just keeps playing. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could. I could do that. Um, and then I could. Uh, I might take Dale Halligan on it and said, "Do you wish you were this quick?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think he. I think he was playing that night. I think, and um, uh, we well, definitely wasn't keeping up with me. That's for sure. Tim actually <laughs> couldn't keep up with me or Julian O'Neill. So, um, mate, let me tell you, the try line was a long way away. And when I finally got there, um, I think they just got me at the same time. And and I was, yep, I was not going another meter. That's for sure. <laughs> um, unfortunately, in the early two thousands, a couple of couple of bad things happened. Uh, 2002, the club was stripped of quite a lot of competition points due to a salary cap scandal. Do you remember much of that and how that affected yourself or the team? Uh, yeah, I do. I was, um, we were actually going to play of, um, of the season. And so I was selected in first grade, but he rang me in the morning and said, look, oh, I think you deserve to play first grade. But he said, there's one thing is, is if you play another game first grade, you can't go back and, and help the boys in reserve grade um, with a bit of experience, et cetera, and all that sort of thing. So I spoke to Darren Smith and a couple of blokes just to sort of get a bit of a gauge um, because, you know, I, I wasn't playing football to play reserve grade. Um, loved, like, mate, loved my mates and loved whatever in reserve grade. But mate, you play football because you want to play as many first grade games as you can, you know, like that's sort of, that's, that's what you're doing. Um, but, mate, yeah, I sort of made the decision that I think it would be the right thing to do then probably just to come back and, and play reserve grade. So I played reserve grade instead of playing first grade and um, made the proofs in the pudding uh, with, uh, with, a, with a reserve grade, uh, with a reserve grade grand final win um, in, in 2002, I think it was, against, um, against St. George. That was again, that, yeah, that was in 2002. I think we're going to ask that a little bit later. But uh, what about the uh, 2000, can we ask about the 2004, the Coss Harbour scandal? Yeah, mate. Look, uh, yeah, just a bit about like uh, we were asking uh, Adam Perry about it, saying the media coverage was insane at Belmore. Everyone yeah, was associated with the club. It, um, mate, it it was quite frankly bullshit. Like to tell you the truth, it was. Um, oh, mate, I think as a guy, you know, September 11, uh, whatever when it happened in America, I think it got 32 front pages on on the paper, whereas uh, our, our rape scandal, I think got 72 or something or 30, mate, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Hey, like, um, and quite frankly, like 
the, the worst part about it is is there was just untruths and and bits and pieces that were reported um which is which is quite sad uh, but mate doesn't doesn't surprise me um it, 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 the coverage of it was handled really poorly externally mate internally we were, we were very strong hey we we knew we'd done nothing wrong um and, and people like steve folks and and karen folks mate that kept all our partners and and everyone together and united um mate that's that's just 2004 is is just an experience that you just can't explain like as far as to go through that with mates and and your partner and so forth it's it's definitely galvanizing and it was it was an incredible year yeah that's we're going to jump onto the highs of 2004 now obviously uh we all know the premiership year um so obviously that situation brought the team even probably tighter together uh yeah. did you always know that you you had the team that that year was going to be the year oh I don't think you ever know you've got the team. Um, I, I think, I think as you go through, you just we were just comfortable. Hey, we were just comfortable knowing each other's game. Like you, you, we just we had that groove. Everyone sort of knew what their job was, what to do, um, and you know things were just coming off for us. Like Shifty would put in a little grubber kick, and, and Hazem would pop up like a bloody jack in the box out of somewhere, and you wouldn't even know where he's come from. Um, we we got some lucky bounces, um, but but we were a we were a tough side. We're a physical side. We it just I never said that I ever wanted to be you know back in my day and so forth. But I look at the dogs at the moment and it's just, they, they just don't seem hungry. They don't seem they just don't seem fierce and they don't seem like they're instilling any sort of I don't know fear into the opposition. I'm not I'm not sure whether that's true or not but mate their attack is poor whereas we've got the had the likes of vangana and you know all those sort of guys so i mean you got to work with the cattle that you got but um we were confident hey we 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 were we were we were confident we were confident in our own game and we we're confident with what we're doing and folks he was um he was the stalwart behind that in relation to he, he had a pretty basic game plan and we stuck to it uh as a fan uh, that combination of Shifty and Romajre probably goes down as one of the best combinations of um, hey. Bulldog history. It's seriously unbelievable. Um, but they actually used to practice it, hey? Like, it wasn't as if it was a fluke. Like, they, you know, people think that you, you're just doing that stuff off the cuff. But, um, mate, at training, it, it was practice, practice, practice. It's like Daryl Halligan with his kicking. Like, it just didn't come naturally. He, he bloody practiced. Like, it, yeah. was, it was amazing to see the extra time that he put in. Uh, one takeaway um, from your answers there, Dennis, is that uh, we've asked a few players that are in and around the team around that era. Um, and one thing that comes across to me is the humbleness of the side. Um, maybe with the exception of Willie Mason, who <laughs> has a reputation of being uh, out there and very confident. But we've spoken on and off the podcast to like Adam Perry on the podcast, Brent Show and at Fair Days and all that sort of stuff. And very humble guys. You know, we were we were definitely we were confident within our own within our own realms. But um, you know, aside from Mace, like we we just went about doing our own thing. And that that was probably part of the makeup of the side. You know, it was probably good having someone like Mace in there because everyone could sort of just go, oh yeah, well, he's sort of he's bloody layering it up enough for us for us all. So um, and he's a good egg, Mace. He really is. Like he's he's misunderstood. He's a, he's a guy that'll give you the shirt off his back if you if you know him and and your mates with him. So, um, but I can see how people think that he's probably you know 
um, over exuberant and some people probably think he's a dickhead, but mate, oh, he'd be, he'd be a guy that I'd, I'd be more than happy to say he's in my corner. That's for sure. I'll just make it clear that I, that was no way a sledge against Willie Mason. No, no, oh, mate. Uh, look, honestly, that's, that's the perception of Willie. Yeah. Like, he's, actually, he's such a good guy, mate. He really is. He's just such a good guy. Um, but to be honest, like he's a good guy, but he doesn't suffer fools. You know, I mean, he probably, he probably is considered to be a fool sometimes himself, but he doesn't suffer fools either. He's mate. He's, he's, he's got a good, uh, he's got a good radar for, for who he's dealing with and, and who he needs to mind his P's and Q's with. He's, he's a good egg. Can we uh, take you back to the 2002 grand final, New South Cup grand final win? Yep. On reserve grade. Can you uh, talk us through like the match, do you remember much of the match? Like a, a lot of players yeah. don't really remember much of their grand final. Yeah, I remember a bit of it, mate. I fucking oh, pardon my language. I dropped a I dropped a ball off uh, Brett Oliver, and you know, I had a try line open in front of me um, in the first half, I think it was. But we had a pretty stacked side, mate. We had Ben Harris, um, Steve Hughes, Brett Howland. Uh, there was myself. Um, I think maybe Shane, mate. We had a we had a pretty good side, hey, um, in reserve grade, that's for sure. Um, Mate, I just remember it as in we were we Stadium Australia, mate. There was plenty of um, fanfare and stuff going on, obviously because it's Grand Final day. Um, we played, we won. I don't think we were actually meant to win against the Dragons. They had a pretty good side too, Ben Ross and a few of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, mate, it was awesome. It was re- it was really good. Like, that's up there with with one of the proudest moments of of my Bulldogs career. You know, getting the mug and, and so forth in the reserve grade grand final, even though, you know, it was under duress as far as circumstances go with the first grade side getting canned as far as points go. Um, mate, I'm just really happy with the decision that I made um, and and the mates that I've, that I've got uh, both in first grade and, and the guys that I played with in reserve grade. Like I, I hold those guys just as dear to me as, as anyone that I'd played in first grade with. Feel like from a fan's point of view as well. Back then, you knew your reserve grade team a little bit more than you do now. Yeah, yeah, mate. And I, I think uh, I, I don't know. I think they need to bring back a almost like a reserve grade. They need to get rid of these under twenties. Um, not as in get rid of the kids, like because mate, they, they've got to come through. But um, to try and tell a guy that he's he's not going to play first grade after he's sort of 21, 22, 23, like it's mate, it's bloody hard. Like. Uh, and I think the older guys help the younger guys progress, you know, like I, I when I was playing reserve grade, there was the likes of Paul Hoff and, and Alan Cairns and bits and pieces running around like, man, I was 18 and they're, you know, 29 or 30. Um, I just think you learn your craft. I learn your craft off the older guys. Um, you learn respect. You learn just what's got to happen as far as, you know, camaraderie. And, and you know, I remember... Uh, if you ever travelled, and regardless of whether you're playing first grade or second grade, mate, the oldest guy always got the double bed. You know, you're always in the single bed. Um, you know, just little things like that that I think are lost. There's, there, I think there's a lot of cockiness and a lot of stuff with young kids that think they've made it, you know, once they've got to a club before they have, like the hard work seems to have, you know, gone out of it a little bit. Some really good points there, but um, I'm just thinking from a fan's point of view, I remember back then it felt like the club was bigger than just the NRL team. And now yep. it feels like it's just the NRL team. Yeah. And of- I think, I think that's what makes it hard too for the fans because all they've got to focus on is, is the NRL side. And, you know, 
back when we were playing, even if the first grade side, you know, had lost, they, they still had something to hold on to because the reserve grade side might have won or, or the flag, you know, side might have, might have come through. So you had three games on the day, which was, which was quite entertaining and it was quite good value for money as far as when yeah. you're paying your ticket. Um, so mm. I think that's, that's sort of something that I, I think the NRL is sadly missing. I'll just say one more question on that little discussion there. Brett Oliver was a name you brought up. Was he going to play some, some NRLs or some more NRL? Yeah, uh, he, um, I think he played about six or seven games maybe NRL. Um, I don't know. He, he was at the Dogs and then, mate, I, I think he then either got canned by the Dogs and, and I, don't, I think he just sort of gave it away, didn't want to go anywhere else, I'm not sure. Um, but I think he played about six or seven games with, with the Dogs maybe uh, in first grade. But he was, mate, he was a zippy little crafty halfback um, that yeah. had a great, great little passing game. I was just going to say from memory, it was a while ago now, but um, I remember watching that reserve grade team and thinking he was a bread show and clone, especially from behind. Yeah, 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 mate. He was, um, he, he had a great little kicking game and he learned, well, he learned a lot off shifty. Like, mate, we were, we were training, obviously everyone's training together, the the top sort of 30 or 40. And that's where you, that's, that's where you were learning, you know, like these twenties were, were just, they're not particularly training with the first graders. So um mm. And you've got to earn that right as well, but there's not enough older heads around these. And also a little bit off script as well with uh, the Bulldogs currently, um, they've partnered with the Mounties in the New South Wales Cup as a reserve grade side. As an ex-player, you're talking about the three, the three grades on one yeah. day and now having a partnership with the Mounties. Speaking as a player's point of view, we've spoken about in the podcast, we think it's a big disconnection from the club. Like it's very hard to cheer on the Mounties despite them being Bulldogs players in reserve grade. They, you know, wear different colours, completely different outfits. Um, as a player, what, how does that feel? Like as an ex-Bulldogs uh, player? Oh, mate, I think you've hit it. I've hit, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, we're not the Mounties. We're not the Mounty Bulldogs. You know, it's, it's, we either put a side in the, in the, I guess, the uh, first division comp, our own side, like a Newtown side that's got dogs in it, or, or we, yeah, mate, I, I don't know the solution. Hey, I, I don't know even know why they've go down this under twenties track um, all these years ago. Like, mate, I just think it just doesn't give hope for an older guy if he hasn't made it at twenty three or twenty four. He just mate goes into the wilderness where he's probably still got you know plenty to offer. I mean, look at Craig Bellamy uh, in relation to some of the guys down there that. Have, Basically, you know, everyone just thinks they're wash-ups and mate, they go there and they win premierships, you know. Like, mm. um, I, don't, I don't know the right recipe for it, mate. There's there's apparently smarter men than than me running the game. Um, sometimes I doubt that, but, um, you know, they've paid a lot of good money to, to sort of get our game in the right direction. I do question it sometimes, but, um, mate, I certainly don't have any miracle answers, so... Man, I can't criticise too hard, I guess. Fair enough. We, yeah, mouth is BS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do agree with you. Like, I just think um, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, all the years, you know, there's there's been three grades, first division and, and a reserve grade side and, and the first grade side, and it just doesn't feel right. Mm. You touched on Craig Bellaby there. So at the end of 2004... Yep. Uh, you went off to Melbourne. Was that a tough decision? And how was it? What was a preseason under Craig Bellaby like? Uh, yeah, it was a tough decision. Like it really was. I think Steve Price had just left then, and um, 
I really wanted to stay at the dogs, but I sort of wanted two years and um, they only wanted to give me a year by year. And, and I'd sort of had a long, hard chat with someone that I really respected at the club and Gary Hughes and sat down and, and he was sort of, mate, he was very disappointed to see me go, but he sort of, you know, he went, mate, look, you know, the opportunity's there and um, I respected his decisions and, and his information that, you know, and advice. So I took it and I knew Craig from when I was at Bronx. So um, there was a connection there straight away. Um, but yeah, a, a pre-season was, it, it wasn't too bad, mates. They sort of, they sort of said about their pre-seasons were, were so rough and tough and all this sort of stuff. But mate, none of them had experienced Bill Johnson, hey? So I just went, you guys are kidding yourselves. Like, you, you seriously, like you think, you think this is tough. Like, yeah, wait until you see what we used to do. But it, it was, it was unique, but um, mate, it was, it was good. It was just different. So all this time Melbourne's talking about the preseason, Scott, and it's um, it's all a mental game, is it? It's all Canterbury, and they're all these. They, they, they make other teams think that um, they're going for a tough preseason. Can I actually ask, uh, Dennis? You've been coached by probably, arguably, three of the best coaches in the NRL. Uh, when Bennett, <laughs> Steve Folks and Craig Bellamy. Oh, it is, it is mental, mate. Mate, it is, it is, uh, mate, it's all a game. Hey, uh, like Melbourne last year, you know, crying foul that they were doing it tough up in uh, Twin Waters, mate. Um, you know, I spoke to Craig Bellamy and and he said, mate, that's what we want people to think. We are loving it up here. Like as far as like, mate, you know, so everyone thought that they were down and out and, <laughs> you know, spending time away from family. But, mate, he was, he was as happy as a pig in poo up there. So uh, I was doing a bit of research, uh, Dennis, earlier today, and uh, 2005 was your last season with Melbourne. Uh, there was an article yep. that said that you had a few injury problems with a neck and a knee. Uh, is, did that force retirement a little bit quicker? Yeah, it did, mate. I, um, it was the neck more so. The knee was fine. Um, I had a bulging disc in my, in my neck, which um, pinched a nerve running down my left arm. I lost a feeling in my left arm for about... Oh, about 12 weeks, three months. Um, so I sort of then had to have a shoulder operation to try and relieve that and, and MRIs with uh, a big cortisone injection coming down through sort of the top of my ear, down through the top of my spine under CT scan, um, which was not pleasant. And then uh, I got back rehabbed and, and did all that and then sort of spoke to another specialist and he sort of said, oh, well, I see you've retired. And I went, no, no, man, I'm actually meant to be playing first grade this week. And that was my first game back in first grade uh, once I'd been injured. And he uh, he adamantly just said, mate, if you play this weekend, you're, you're crazy. So I sort of on the spot had to make the decision. Um, my first daughter was just born and um, made, made the decision that, that was enough and and mate i stayed there for the rest of the year in a in a clubman capacity and organizing other stuff and bits and pieces and helping out around the club uh and then and then finished up at at that stage i was planning to head to england after that but mate that obviously didn't happen either did, after that um when the when you announced your retirement did you move back up to sydney or brisbane or moved back to brisbane uh, my wife's parents they were in Brisbane and they were around the corner from us or where we had sort of bought a house in Brisbane in Ashgrove. And um, the plan was that they were going to help us um, look after the kids uh, and we moved back and, and they buggered off up to the Sunshine Coast. So that plan sort of went out the window. Um, so we were sort of lumped with the kids as well anyway. So, um, 
but you know that we we moved back to Brizzy. We're always going to go back to Brisbane at some point in time. Um, and you know, for the last ten years or whatever, twelve years, we've sort of contemplated moving backwards and forwards. We we contemplated moving to Melbourne at one stage, um, but you know, and and Sydney sort of had come up on the radar a couple of times as far as work commitments go, but. Um, mate, we 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 love Brizzy Hay at the moment. We we we'd see it's a great spot. Uh, then uh, into a carpentry apprenticeship. Carpentry, mate, mature yeah, mature age carpenter. Um, finished that. Went into went into the office and was project managing with uh, with the guy. And we sort of uh, kept getting asked about landscaping, and and then I sort of set up a little landscape business with inside the the carpentry business that uh, I was working at. And uh, we did that for a little bit, and I couldn't sort of wear both hats. And and the bloke that who's a bane of mine, he sort of said, "Mate, there's there's some money in the bank there. Why don't you just take it and run with it, and um, mate, have a go at it yourself?" So I did that, and then that's been I think about seven years. And uh, mate, then I had a uh, another mate who owns a landscape business as well. Cheekily sent me a a link for um, the landscaper of Selling Houses Australia with a bit of uh, cheek to himself, saying that I'd be suited um to something like that because i'm don't mind a chat and uh and i thought you know what stuff him i'm gonna i'm gonna have a go at it so so i mate got some audition tapes together and um sent it through and covid hit it was a bit of a long drawn out process but mate i'm currently in country south australia um with the likes of andrew winter uh, in the room beside me and uh wendy moore from foxtel and we're we're shooting um shooting a second episode tomorrow amazing how that just came up and in your face to your mate there you won <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly right <laughs> mate yeah I, I i didn't sort of tell my wife about it either i just sort of i sort of sent an audition tape and then all of a sudden i got a reply and, and my wife saw the uh, email come through and um she sort of asked me what it was about and i sort of didn't want to i didn't want to tell anyone until i'd sort of either known yes or no so i could sort of say oh you yeah, know i tried out but i missed out or and that's what i thought was going to happen but um, mate, there was a couple of audition processes and I had to fly to Sydney and, and meet the cast and crew and bits and pieces. And then they called me, mate, they called me, I think it was April, start of April. And, and we're now, mate, um, we're into the second episode or close to the third episode in, in South Australia. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, when you retired, going back to when you retired at um, Melbourne, was there any, like, um, someone there from there or the NRL kind of helped you with the progression after footy, like, as in... With the carpentry apprenticeship, or no, nah, no, nah, it's probably full of shit, really. Like they don't, mate. They, they, they preach one thing, but they, mate, they don't particularly practice another thing. It's you, you've got to be self-sufficient, hey. Like if you're not going to do anything yourself, then you know they're not going to do anything to really help you. Um, they've got all these things in process, but you've got to want to do them, and you've got to want to sort of take them up and and you know make them make them help you as well. Like they're not just going to jump out of the box and and do something for you. You've got to you got to do something for yourself and, and they'll happily back you and, and probably assist you. But mate, the young guys these days, they just don't know, mate, because they've been from an early age, they've been mollycoddled right the way through. They've been told what to wear to training. They've been told when to go to training. They've been told what time to catch a plane. You know, they've become very regimented and that's what happens when they finish footy. They can't think for themselves. You've, you've touched on a few of our next questions. So um, we'll throw them out to you. If there's anything else that you... Um, about these topics that you haven't really touched on or would like to explore more, we'll give you the opportunity. So lush landscapes, tell us a bit about that. Yep. 
Lush Landscape Solutions, mate. No bush has beaten us. Um, mate, we are a little boutique landscape company in Brisbane. Uh, we'll do anything from coming to pull your weeds to, mate, full landscape jobs, up to two, 300,000 pools, you name it, we can do it. Um, look, I, I just pride myself on the fact that if I was going to pay someone to do something at my place, that's how I'm going to do it at your place. Um, you know, I do all the little bits and pieces that, probably some people don't do, but um, they'd be things that I would expect done if I was paying someone to do them at my place. So that's sort of, we take pride in our work and mate, there's only, we're only a small crew, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. And, and if the shit hits the fan, we'll make sure we correct it. If you're in Brisbane right now, how would you find Lush Landscapes on the socials? Mate, on socials, I've uh, I've been lucky enough that I haven't got a web page. Um, that's my one of my next things to do. Um, I've I've never had to advertise for work. Um, I don't have signage on my cars or anything like that. It's all been word of mouth and through through people that I know. Um, so if if you look are looking for a landscape, a Lush Landscape Solutions on um, well, it's actually Dennis Scott, Lush Landscape Solutions on uh, Instagram. Um, and that's that's pretty much the only advertising that I've um that I've got going. Um. Lucky I've got a little bit of a boost in supporters since Selling Houses Australia, but there can always be more. So if anyone's out there and they want to give me a follow, that would be uh, greatly appreciated. I think it's a no-brainer. You've got to give, click the follow button. It's outstanding. Yeah, well, that's what it, mate. It's, uh, look, I, I might not be a poster every day or bits and pieces, but what you see on there will be will be real. And uh, as I say, I'm, I'm a dog's guy, sadly. Like, as I said to you before, mate. Um, no I... I sometimes when people ask me who I, who I support, I think, oh, do I tell them someone else? But no, I, I, mate, I happily, I happily tell them that I'm a dog's guy. I'm, I'm, mate, I'm proud. I'm proud of the time that I've spent at the dogs and I'm proud of uh, the club that they are and that, that they made me an influence to as far as um, future wise goes. So um, yeah, look, they're going through some shit at the moment, but you know, hopefully they'll come out the other end. Um, I'll go on with, uh, so you've, you've touched on the lush landscapes um, and the selling houses Australia. How is it um, like to work with such a production crew? I mean, what's it like for people like us who don't see the uh, behind the scenes and everything of selling houses Australia? Could you give us a bit more detail on what it's like on set? Um, it's surreal. Um, it's, I, I didn't contemplate how much there was uh, into making um, they're amazing. They're, they're very enthusiastic and they've been only too willing to help me. I've got no bloody television experience. Uh, Selling Houses Australia, as far as Foxtel goes, is their most popular show ever apart from Game of Thrones. So uh, no pressure on me whatsoever um, <laughs> to, to continue the juggernaut of, of show that it is. But um, everyone has been so helpful. Hey, uh, Andrew Winters is a champion. Uh, Wendy Moore, the the female host, is is amazing. Um, the the production um, executive producers, mate, they're they're so good. And I've just told them that if I need a kick in the ass, just give me one. Like if I need if I need something explained to me or I need to do something better, um, let me know because I'm I'm all in and I want it to work. And mate, I want this to be um, you know, I want this to be my chance to possibly get off the tools and, and still continue to do something that I love. Fantastic. And, uh, have they started airing those? And if not, when will those episodes be going to air? No, sadly, sadly, uh, sadly they don't get aired, I think until February, uh, 2022. Um, so there, there's quite a bit of production that happens with the, with the episodes. So, 
fingers crossed as it starts getting towards the back of the year, they'll start to ramp, um, uh, ramp my profile and, and a couple of things like that up as far as advertising goes and um, start getting a bit more of a followers uh, base for, for myself being, being no public profile compared to, compared to the other hosts and bits and pieces. So 2022, sadly, it's a little while to wait, um, but look, I'm, I'm super excited with what we've produced so far and, um, you know, what I'm even looking at, but mate, it looks pretty good to me. Um, so hopefully, hopefully 2022 is a successful season and, and mate, we get, we get to record 2023 and, and onwards. What's the best part of the job? Is it traveling around? Like, like you said, you're now in country South Australia. Yeah, look, tra the travel is good. I, I, I must admit, I, I am enjoying the travel. Um, you know, it comes with its own perils. I've got, I've got two daughters at home um, that, you know, you, you miss and, and a wife, obviously, that you miss. Um, but it, it, almost, it almost feels uh, football-like, to tell you the truth. You, you're in a pretty tight-knit team. Um, everyone's fighting for the, you know, the right result as far as, you know, getting a good episode and getting good recordings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and at the end of the day, everyone's, you know, everyone just goes and we have a feed and, and have a couple of beers and discuss the day and discuss what happened. And, um, mate, you, you retire back to your hotel room and um, go to bed and do it the next day. Look, it's, it's, it is quite football-like and it's, um, it's enjoyable. I, mate, it's, it's, it's something new for me at the moment and it's really, um, it's really exciting. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a steep learning curve, but I'm sort of trying to embrace it. You touched on it a little bit, uh, just a tad bit earlier, but what's it like to work with Andrew Winter? He's, he's great. He's, um, mate, what you see is what you get. He's, uh, he's a sarcastic prick. Um, <laughs> he's quick, he's quick witted. Um, so yeah, you've got to be on your toes, uh, 24 seven. So, um, it just calls a spade a spade. Like if he walks in and he sees something he doesn't like, he'll tell you he doesn't like it. Um, some people either you know dislike that or, or they like that but he's a um he's a good guy i've learned i've learned a lot off him in the last uh month that i've been dealing with him and and hopefully he's only too happy to keep imparting that knowledge mate it's 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 seriously it's like uh it's like me going back as a comparison it's like me going back and and first walking into the dog's uh dressing shed and and mate learning your craft off someone like darren Britt. you know like i'm i'm starting out and i'm young and i'm fresh and, and i'm trying to learn something off uh, one of the good guys in, in the, in the industry. So I'm trying to simulate that with, with football and I'm using those adages with me as far as mentally wise goes, which keeps me, um, which keeps me on my toes. Okay, cool. We've got a few uh, sort of quick fire random questions to shoot at you now yep. uh, that all the special guests get. So um, we'll start off with Scott Faraway. Who was the best player you ever played with? Oh, mate, I would, I would say Greg Inglis. Whoa. <laughs> I was expecting a Lockyer or a, a Walters. No, nah, mate, Greg Inglis was a freak. He just, mate, he could just, he could just do stuff, hey. It was just amazing. And it was just when he wanted to do it too. Our favourite team to beat? Uh, Roosters. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, favourite stadium or, uh, yeah, stadium to play at? Um, mate, Belmore was a good ground to play at. It was, uh, it was good. Um, apart from that, I didn't really care. Hey, like honestly, the the worst 
place to play at was Newcastle because the dressing sheds were shit. Um, <laughs> West, West was pretty ordinary, but, mate, it didn't really worry me where I was playing. I tell you, the other day, I was really impressed with the facilities up the Sunshine Coast where Melbourne were. And, again, you know, they all saying, oh, well, we're playing at a second-rate stadium. Mate, that's first-rate. Like, it is unbelievable. So they're putting out this perception that... Um, you know, that they're struggling, but mate, they're not. Hey, they're, mate, they're secretly loving life. <laughs> Blowing apart all the Melbourne secrets tonight. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Best part of being a first grade player. Oh, mate, the lifestyle was good. Hey, the lifestyle playing first grade was, was good. If you, if you did the right thing, mate, it was good. The lifestyle was good. Uh, no, we asked you the best player you played with. Who was your favorite teammate that you played with? Oh, I was lucky enough that I sort of got along with most blokes. I um, I had a lot of favourites. I really did have a lot of favourites. But the, I mean, uh, one guy that I keep in contact with uh, quite regularly now, and, and I'm really good mates with, and I've always been really good mates with right from the start. Stephen Hughes, mate. Um, he's he's a he's a cracker guy. He's got a great little building company in Sydney at the moment, and he's kicking some goals. Um, yeah, I've always kept in contact with uh, with him. But oh, mate, I used to love Rito. Um, Steve Reardon and mate Shifty Sherwin used to stay at my place just about every second weekend because we were next to Carmen's and mate, he'd, he'd just roll down to my place and sleep there. Um, Jamie Feeney, mate, great guy. Uh, he's moved to Brisbane just recently, so I caught up with him uh, not long ago. Mate, yeah, I had so many good friends. Trav Norton went to school with Trav Norton. Um, Shane Martin. I, mean, I had, mate, I really, I, I had a lot of good friends. I, I was so fortunate to get along with everyone and and not have, well, I wouldn't say I had an enemy really at the dogs at all. Um, I had a great time. But I, I do keep in contact quite regularly with uh, with Steve Hughes. Who's the most annoying teammate you've ever had? Corey Hughes. <laughs> you want to think twice? Nah. <laughs> nah um, Snack was a pain in the ass. Do you have any stories we could possibly share on the podcast of why he was a pain in the ass? Um, oh, he was just, he was just into everything. Hey, look, if you name it, he was either tripping you over or he was, mate, cutting you off at lights or something like that on the drive part. There was just always something around the smack going on. He'd steal your towel or, or mate, they just, he was just an absolute pest. He had that reputation on the field as well, didn't he? So he yeah, yeah, exactly game. right. Mate, I'll, I will tell you a story about Corey Hughes, and it probably incriminates myself as well. Corey and I used to... Um, I played on the bench quite a bit, and Corey um, was on the bench. So we'd sort of uh, warm up, and we'd, we'd take our position on the on the bench. Um, and we used to just set ourselves these little little games. You know, everyone thinks that NRL's quite serious, but, you know, to you get yourself mentally not thinking how tired you are and all that so you just got to keep thinking about different things so Corey and I used to set ourselves these little challenges so if there was three in the tackle and, and I hopped up first I'd sort of either make Corey go back so we'd have to run back in the defensive line or, or you'd get second mark and you'd tell him to chase because you knew the ball was going left so you'd tell him to go left so we're always just mate at each other like that on the field so one day we were playing Melbourne Storm and Kirk Reynoldson was playing so the challenge we set each other on that uh, on that day was to see who could get the most beard hairs out of Kirk Reynoldson's beard, um, and then <laughs> I 
I tackled Kirk, the big bush ranger, and I grabbed a, a handful of beard hair and I sort of had a bit of a look at it on the field and thought, yeah, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good chunk. Um, and then I came off and I sat on the bench and then, and Corey came off about oh, five or 10 minutes after me and he sat on the bench and he asked me, he said, how'd you go? And I went, mate, I, I went pretty good. I got, a, I got a big handful. I sort of looked at my hand and I sort of said, mate, it was you know about this big in my hand. And he goes, oh yeah, right. He goes, okay, mate, was it this big? And he actually bent over and, and pulled up the fold of his sock and pulled out this clump of hair. Oh, no. So not only did he pull the hair out on the field, but he had time to stuff it under his sock and then fold it back over and then keep playing. So, you know, everyone's talking about how bad this NRL game and it's quick and so forth, mate, we still got time to do shit like that. So um, that, that just typifies Corey Hughes as far as just mate, the pest that he was and, and the fun that me and him used to have. And um, yeah, it just, just playing first grade, mate. If you, if you're not enjoying yourself, Hey, it's, it's, you might as well not do it. Where do you go from there? <laughs> That's like the best, I think, story ever. Like, as in when we talk about most annoying players, when we like current on the podcast. Oh, that's oh, mate. He was a he was a pest, but you know, like I would always like he would be he'd be this guy that you know he'd, he'd either hit someone in the face, look at you, and and they'd think it was you, and then you right, okay, so they did they know it'd be they know it'd be Corey. So, um, mate, good guy, hey, uh, amazing guy, do absolutely anything for you. Um, just a true bulldog. I think he would have been really sad to have to go to the Sharks when he did go to the Sharks. But, mate, as far as I know, he's enjoyed it. But, you know, I think um, there's been a few few sad things go on uh, over the years at the Dogs. But, mate, that's spilt milk now. Uh, Greg Inglis was the best player you played with. Who was the yep. best player you played against? Oh, probably, probably Darren Lockyer. Um, mate, he was... He, he just controlled the game. Like, you just didn't know where you were going with him. You just, mate, you didn't know. And I was, mate, it's, it's weird because I played with so many good players. Like, and I say Greg Inglis is probably, mate, not just, you know, I played with the likes of Glenn Lazarus, um, Alan Langer, Kevin Walters, Steve Renoff, um, mate, Darren Britt, Sonny Bills, um, Hazems, um, mate, Ricky Stewart, Brad Clyde, uh, Greg Inglis, Cam Smith. Uh, Cooper Cronk, mate, I've, I've been lucky enough to play over a lot of uh, sections and, and eras of players. So I've played against a lot of good players, you know, Freddie Fittler and Minicellos and, and all these guys. Um, mate, to tell you the truth, hey, anyone playing first grade to me, was was worthy of being a tough opponent. You just, if you, if you didn't respect, if you didn't respect your opposition, then, mate, you, you'd you're in trouble from the start. And we did as the dogs, we respected them, but mate, we didn't, we didn't want to show them we respected them. So, um, you know, we just sort of went about our own way and, and didn't even acknowledge them and just mate did what we did. I know you touched this one a bit earlier about the uh, thoughts on the current team. Is there anything else you wanted to add? The current, no, uh, look, 2021 no, the only, no, the only thing I can add is just look, honestly, you've just, if you're a dog supporter, you've just got to, remain a dog supporter and you've got to keep the faith. Like it's, it's tough. Um, it, it, it's hard, but you've just got to try and think that they're doing what they think is best at the moment for the team. So, I mean, everyone's made, everyone's a professional and everyone's, everyone thinks they know the right answer. Hey, but um, you know, they're, they're, 
they're, they're not enjoying themselves, put it that way. They're not enjoying themselves. They're not having fun. They're doing it tough as well. They, they want to, they, trust me, they want to win as well, as just as much as what the supporters do. Wild figs for sure. Scotty and I will be there every week. Yeah, and mate, that's, so. that's, that's what's needed. You know, like there's, there's more of that that's needed, regardless of, of result. You know, you can be disappointed and you can be upset and you can be, you know, angry about what's happening, but you just got to keep turning up. And, and, and at the moment, look, I take my hat off to the guys. They are still turning up every week and, and they're having a crack. They're just, mate, they're just, they're just deficient in a few things at the moment. They just haven't found their, found their groove. Do you still enjoy watching the game today? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, not as much this year at the moment. I think it's sort of, it's, it's becoming too fast. Um, but yeah, I, yep, I do. I still, I still enjoy watching rugby league. Love it. Love rugby league. Uh, we got some couple of questions from our Twitter when announced in a very short period of time that you're coming on the show. Um, so this one's from at Olay George underscore uh, one of our Twitter followers. What was the celebrations like um, from the 2004 grand final? Do you have any great stories from that evening that you can share with us? Uh, my celebrations were awesome. It took us about two hours, I think, to get from Homebush to Belmore um, in the in the double decker bus, um, <laughs> big, just because the, the sea of crowd was just incredible. Um, mate, there's probably no. PG stories to be able to tell on uh, on a you know after three or four days um, consuming way too much alcohol. Um, I do remember I think at about four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning at the leagues club in the chairman's lounge seeing folksy half asleep uh, in a big like chairman's chair and uh, I think I I think I might have ran from about oh, ten or fifteen meters away and absolutely just crash tackled him on the chair so and he sort of quickly woke up and um and then sort of mate i think he got another beer and and we sort of continued on our way so um yeah there's not too many pg stories from 2004 but it was certainly a um it was certainly a good party sounds good we won't get you we won't get you to open up on those non-pg stories <laughs> keep those no, private and not trust. Get in trouble uh from yeah. at dan underscore roth can you compare the bulldog system of the late 90s early 2000s to the Broncos system um they, they were different the do, the dogs had a big uh, a big nursery as far as local local guys like it was really concentrated whereas the broncos in the early 90s were really scattergun approach they had the pull of of you know three quarters of queensland so they they had first choice of of pretty much every talent that had come through and at the moment they're not they're not got that and and they're struggling their recruitment side is really hurting um whereas the dogs were we're more of a local, um, local based type situation with uh, some of the juniors coming through. So they were different, but um, I think their work ethos was, was quite similar, which is probably why I slotted into the dogs um, reasonably well when I left the Bronx. Okay, we've got one last uh, question. Uh, selling Houses Australia or Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs player? You had to pick one, mate. Uh, at the moment, you don't have much of a profile with the Bulldogs, but um, mate, always proud to say I played with the Bulldogs, and uh, nothing I do ever since playing with them will will, will change the fact that I was uh, had a great six years at the Dogs, and um, yeah, mate, and cherish it, cherish it well. All right, Dennis, that's all the questions from us. Is there anything that we haven't asked or touched on that you'd like to mention before we say goodbye? 
Uh, no, mate. I think um, no. Look, it's all it's all um, it's all good. As I say, it's just um, mate. I can only say just keep the faith, hey. Like I know it's tough, but uh, if we keep the faith, then hopefully when the wheel turns, mate, we're going to be there as and and supporting, you know, in the front row, just like uh, just like we are trying to do now. Well, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Whenever anyone makes time to come on this podcast to talk to Scott or myself, uh, it's a real thrill for us. So thank you so much. Yeah, and I just want to thank you as well. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, you know, being a Bulldogs fan from the whole entire life and then, you know, having players like yourself come on and, like, you know, we used to pretend, you know, be at the backyard and stuff like that and, you know, having those players, it actually means the world to us. And um, it's been a hype all day. I mean, I was at work today i don't think i did any work i was talking about you the whole entire day <laughs> to be honest <laughs> it's always it's always nice to uh, talking about you um but yeah mate, look, any any time guys hey if i can um if i can be of assistance mate anytime um and again you know um you know i'm always a bulldog and and if if everyone can sort of show me the support now as well and and with socials and all that sort of stuff and and hopefully i'm successful with selling houses australia and, and not only will do myself proud but um, make everyone that, uh, you know, that supported Canterbury and supported me when I was playing there um, proud as well.